Welcome to Life Planning 101, brought to you by Kennedy Financial Services of Eastland. Tune in every Monday morning at 8.30 on KATX and KWBY, and again on Saturday morning at 9 on KATX and KWBY, as Angela Robinson joins Terry Slavens to share important financial information to help you live life on purpose. Insurance, investments, estate and tax planning, and much more, all covered now on Life Planning 101. And welcome into Life Planning 101 right here on KTX KWBY. Terry Slavin's with you, joined by, as usual, Angela Robinson. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. And how about this rain? I know our out of state listeners aren't getting to maybe see it, but we are just so excited this morning and woke up in the middle of the night and I didn't even care that I didn't go back to sleep. So praise the Lord for that. But we've got a great show. You know, and last week we talked so much about what we get to do is clean up a lot of messes and we have a guest that's going to be on the show with us today that does just that and i have found you know over the years and i think all of us do at kennedy financial that uh, we learn the most experiences from unfortunately the bad things that occur because they're the things that never leave our hearts never do we forget and we're able to share those stories and move on and you know help other people and you know i thought about after last week i thought you know the reason you know the time that we spend is usually with people that were cleaning up messes or in those last few years trying to make miracles happen before a life event like selling a business or retirement or things like that and i thought you know maybe i need to make it a goal for this show to get people motivated early to get some things done And uh, this is a perfect speaker for that. We are so honored. We've got a gentleman from over Abilene, Texas. He actually did a luncheon for our clients over there about a month ago, Uh, did an outstanding job. Uh, He has been practicing law for about 35 years, graduated from Baylor. Don't hold that against him. (laughs) And I think that he went to South Texas for his law school. But we are so excited to have him because he focuses in not only estate planning, wills, trusts, and probate, but he also assists in elder law. And you know, a lot of people are really unclear of what could happen if they get older and their health care fails them and how to address that. And I think it is a very legitimate thing for people to be thinking about no matter who you are. I was actually looking up some statistics on longtermcare.gov. So this is our government said that 70%, so that's 7 in 10 people, age 65 and older, are going to need some type of long-term care assistance. Wow, 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. So if you are the one of those that says, it'll never happen to me, you may want to think again, right? (laughs) So with that, he is going to be on the show with us today. His name is Mr. Clinton Nix, and he is going to be talking about what it means to be able to go on to Medicaid, because I know a lot of people have that in the back of their minds that they don't need to worry because they'll be taken care of no matter what. And so we're going to talk a lot about what that means. And he's got some great tidbits, um, some great information. I'm going to have a pen ready to write because I'm excited to learn the information we've got on the show. So, um, Mr. Nix, are you with us this morning? I am. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us. And we just look so much forward to what all you've got to educate us. And hopefully, I hope you scare the dickens out of our listeners so that they can go get some things done uh, today before it's too late. Well, hopefully not scaring them, but we'll see. (laughs) 
that's the call to action is it you, you want to get a call to action rather than scaring them to death but make them know that they need to do something right away that's right well it's not as much doing things right away it's more of trying to be a little proactive rather than reactive as we all know is sometimes when you're having to be in a reactive position then your choices many times are bad worse and worst <laughs> and so part of the goal of being a little bit more proactive is maybe you can say maybe i can make some choices that aren't in those three categories. That's right. That's right. But uh, I'll start off with uh, Medicaid covers a wide area when you say that. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Medicaid. It's Basically, it's a welfare program. Many people would understand Medicaid as far as it concerns medical care, doctors, prescriptions, things like that. Medicaid is designed to help those who don't have anything. So many people are, would understand if they heard somebody's on Medicaid or that they need to see a certain doctor or medications, but they have to find someone that will take Medicaid. But Medicaid also includes folks that require nursing home care, people that are in our state-supported living facilities, which we used to call state schools. Most all of those people are also on Medicaid. gives you an idea. Those are people that they are no longer able to care for themselves, and they have to require third parties to be able to care for them. It can be uh, physical limitations, it can be mental limitations, it can be both. And so that's sort of a big broad brush of Medicaid because a lot of times you'll hear about Medicaid reform or things like that, and it's understanding there's different types of programs under the Medicaid umbrella. And Medicaid is a federal program, and most of the rules are based under federal law, but they do allow certain Experiences a little bit between the states to depend on each state has some particular, uh, you know, some needs that we may have in Texas may not be the same needs that they have in North Dakota, for example. So Medicaid, uh, there's some, some flexibility, and not a lot, but there's a little bit of flexibility about that. And I think uh, a lot of times what people are looking at here, though, is what if something bad happens to me or someone in my family and I have to go require nursing home care, you know, will Medicaid, or they think, will the government, that's the government program, Medicaid, will Medicaid pay for that, or what's going to happen on that? Yeah, and I don't think, you know, most people understand either that, you know, uh, because it is welfare, it is not just um, the government steps in and helps you no matter what, is that you're required to basically be at a state of poverty. And I know um, you've got some great uh, information just on that, on what that means, because, you know, when you look at the cost of that long-term care, and we, we see it, we've seen anywhere from the minimum side, about $40,000 a year for care, to uh, the upper end. Now, this was in Colorado, but they were spending about $95,000 a year on care. Right. And I know from my uh, fellow elder law attorneys, the cost of just regular nursing home care in New York or New England is running about 10000 a month. Jeez. Wow. And, and, and the lawyers will all say, and we're not talking about any place special. <laughs> I mean, because the rest of us go, 10000 And so you can see, particularly if you're in New England or New York State, even someone with quite a few assets, it doesn't take long at all to start depleting what you have at 10000 a month. No, and you're required to do so. I know uh, you had on your outline here, you know, some of the basic nursing home Medicaid eligibility requirements. We'll hear back from you here in just a few moments. 
segment two of Life Planning 101 right here on KPXKWBY. Terry Slavin's with you along with Angela Robinson. And the phone lines didn't like the moisture. It's been so long since they've seen those. They just knocked us right off the air with Clinton. Well, hopefully we'll get him back. Hopefully we will. But until then, I got plenty to talk about. I mean, do I ever not have plenty to talk about? So, you know, I do hope we get him back because I do know, you know, right from an attorney's mouth that deals with this all the time. It's just some great information. And he was just a uh, just a wonderful resource for our clients um, when they came into Abilene and got to hear him speak about things. But, you know, we were talking about the cost of long-term care before the break. And so this morning I was pulling up, and by the way, there's this really great website that you can get onto, and it's at uh, Genworth. If you'll pull up Genworth's Cost of Long-Term Care, just Google it. Right. You can. It's actually got a map, and you can pull up by state and look at what cost of care is in that place for everything from home health care to a assisted living to, you know, semi-private rooms to private rooms to whatever else. And, um, you know, I know we have listeners that are scattered all across the country. So, you know, go on there and look what it is in your area. Be shocked. I I tell my mother and father-in-law all the time that if they end up needing care, they're moving to Texas, whether they like it or not, (laughs) (laughs) because Montana is just ridiculous. So, um, but with that, I do believe we have Mr. Nix back on the phone. Are you with us? I'm back. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, right before uh, you let go, you we're going to start talking and you may have talked for a while um, about the Medicaid eligibility requirements for going in a nursing home. Right. And it's easier to tell you what property is exempt uh, because the exempt property is you can have a home and in Texas it can have up to $550,000 of equity. And so that can also include if you live on a out in the country on 200 acres and if it has an equity of less than 550,000, the whole farm is exempt. It has to be contiguous, but it could be exempt. I tell people that's a big issue in our area. A lot of times people don't realize it. That is Um, right. You get one motor vehicle, and you can have some household goods and furnishings. You can have uh, cemetery plots or urns for your cremains. There's a few little bitty exemptions that don't apply to most people and get real technical, and I won't go into that. And then you can have up to $2,000 to cover everything else. Two grand. Wow. That's a, that's a big number. <laughs> yes. Well, I tell people, when you, when, that's really what gets everyone's attention, because when you're going, wow, $2,000, that's not hardly anything. No, it's and not so, at all. That's right. And so that's what would be required. Medicaid is, the best way to think of Medicaid is it's a three-legged stool. You have to have three elements to be eligible, you have, uh, and it's particularly for a nursing home. You have to have a medical need. There's an income requirement and then there's a what they call resource or asset requirement and so you have to meet all three to be eligible once someone is eligible for medicaid then that person's income basically will be going to pay for the nursing home and the state will pick up the difference and what i think surprises folks is that once someone's eligible for medicaid they get to keep sixty dollars a month to take care of their personal needs wow and uh, i always remind folks that for ladies that won't even pay to get your hair done every month so. no it no won't kidding. that's exactly so right. it's very uh once you i mean that's why i tell people when you understand the rules you realize that once you're on it you're not going to have any money or asset so you're going to have to rely upon your family or hopefully making sure that other things have been paid for that's uh, right. before you went to the nursing home. like one thing is encouraging people to go ahead and prepay their funeral 
that. Right. Uh, so is this are these numbers different if you're married? Yes, there's different rules if you're married, and that's the most important factor I tell folks is that the assets are and income are the same, but surprisingly, uh, the Congress actually passed a law that made sense, and what it was designed is to keep the healthy spouse taking care of their sick spouse from using up all the money they had and then saying, now what am I going to do? Right. So there is ways that a spouse, we can uh, you can protect maybe up to an, an additional $122,000 of assets. Uh, you may be able to keep part of the income uh, for the spouse that has to go in the nursing home. There's a, as we could say, they get real technical, but it's very important for married folks to visit with someone that understands how this works because many times uh, for married folks, they really don't have to go to the poorhouse. Their spouse can get taken care of by Medicaid and they'll still have money to live on. Right. So what happens, you know, say you're married and obviously you've gone through all this Medicaid planning and eventually your spouse that's in the nursing home or in care dies and then, you know, you've got the same amount of income, maybe it's a survivorship pension, but it's higher or whatever that is. Do they get to keep that or does that have to go into reimbursing what the government was paying out in those bills? Oh, good question. You're asking about what is called the uh, Medicaid reimbursement or state reimbursement. The federal government in 1993, when they made some changes, they required the states to come up with a way to recoup costs from uh, for some Medicaid expenditures, and Texas was one of the last states. We didn't adopt our rules until 2005. But there are a few exemptions, and if a surviving spouse is one of the exemptions. So if Mrs. Jones's husband's in the nursing home and he passes away, the state will not be asking Mrs. Jones to reimburse anything for his care. So that's an important deal for spouses because they don't have to worry about a Medicaid reimbursement. But it's also some small rules if you had a child at home, uh, and there's also if you had somebody in the family that's disabled, there's no Medicaid estate recovery from those people. But uh, that's why also that if someone is on Medicaid, they need to understand these rules because uh, after someone passes away, the state will be knocking on somebody's door saying, we'd like our money back. Sure, sure. And you know that if you're, you've kept a $550,000 homestead, there's quite a bit of money there. Yes. Or someone. Mm, that's, that's a good point. And I know a lot of these states, they're talking about filial laws. We've been seeing this come on, and I know Texas has yet to adopt that. Is that something that you've heard about? I don't see our legislature doing that anytime soon. Well, I hope not. <laughs> it, it really goes back to the old English common law that children have no legal obligation to take care of their parents. Right, and that's it, what these states are saying is that we'll come after the kids for the assets, So, um, or could. And I don't even think, I think there's been one state that's actually tried to do it. I hadn't, I hadn't seen an, an update on that, but I do know, uh, again, my in-laws are in Montana, so I watch things closely up there. <laughs> so. I would be surprised if they would do it in a state like Montana. but Yeah, and that, but they have adopted the filial law. So, okay. yeah, which is crazy. You, I agree. You know, it's we call that North Texas. So um, it's kind of an odd thing, but uh, it is a, it is something I think people need to to realize is real. And if, you know, we keep having um, these states with, you know, non-balanced budgets and problems, you know, what could happen, it could happen. It's it's out there. Right. And the particular problem is because the 
you've heard of Medicaid expansion, and it's primarily on the medical side. It's not dealing with nursing home care, but there's more need. So as that need increases, it it'll uh, it's already affecting states on have to pay for that those cares, and right. so that's why they're looking at ways to try to either recoup money or restrict what they're paying out. Well, when we come back, we've got more information. I know everybody's saying, how can I protect my assets? How can I get them out of my state? What can happen? I know you've got some things on your agenda to talk to us about, Mr. Nixon. We look forward to it. So we're just excited to have you on the show, and uh, we'll hear back from you here in just a few moments. Final segment, Life Planning 101. Let's get to it, Angela. Yes, and we have a very special guest, Mr. Clinton Nix, an attorney over in the great city of Abilene, Texas. And um, we are excited to have him on. He's talking to us about, or has been talking to us about, Medicaid eligibility requirements as he works with some elder law. And then we were getting into, right before the end of the break, of, you know, gifts, uh, getting things out of your state. Everybody wants to know how to do that. So is there a secret sauce? Well, when Congress changed the law back in the 2000s, they changed the look-back period from 36 months or three years to 60 months or five years. And the period starts running from when you would be eligible for Medicaid. So I tell people, if you're going to make gifts, you almost need to do it while you're healthy, or otherwise you're going to have to wait five years before you'd be eligible for Medicaid. Uh, there's penalties if you make gifts, and they can delay the period of time before someone can receive Medicaid benefits, and that means somebody's going to have to pay the nursing home, and it's not going to be the state of Texas. And so that could be a particular problem for families. So it's really very important that you visit with a lawyer, and particularly someone who's update on all the Medicaid rules and eligibility issues. Right. Uh, there are ways to do some planning or to make those gifts, but you really need to understand how these rules work. Uh, and also, I sort of like investments. Some of it is a risk factor. How much risk are you willing to take? Exactly. Some people want CDs and (laughs) some people are willing to do more. And so that's the other factor is lawyers would tell people part of this is a risk. And so, you know, we can do sort of a mix of planning techniques, but you need to be aware that if you come in and mom's going to have to go to the nursing home in a month, there's a whole different uh, problem with the gifting yeah, and you know a lot of people I, I do know, you know, especially Abilene, man, it's a big town of professors and with three colleges there, and a lot of people have very large retirement accounts. And um, something that's often forgotten about is when you do all this, the tax implications um, can eat it alive too. So you know, like you say, there's a lot of risks, a lot of caveats that need to be dealt with. That's great. You mentioned some exceptions to these penalties, though. There's no penalties for giving gifts to spouses. There's no penalties for giving gifts to someone that's disabled. And disability is defined as someone, they don't have to be receiving Social Security disability, but they have to meet the same rules that would require Social Security disability. So, for example, if if someone had a child that had Down syndrome, that child is disabled. They can make gifts to that uh, disabled child or a trust for the disabled child, and those are not penalized. Hmm. So... There's a few exemptions on that, and that's also why it's you know helpful to know what everybody's situation is. But otherwise, the gifting penalties, it, there's a penalty period that runs on a daily rate, and until you use up that penalty, then you're going to have to private pay. Yuck. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I know, you know, a lot of people, this, this interests because again, I mean, my gosh, we've got a growing baby boomer population and I'm not going to pick on you or Terry um, because <laughs> you both are in that, that generation. Um, but, you know, um, healthcare is getting better. And that's only contributing to the need of long-term care services. So this is real. And it's, it's a very important thing for, I think, people to understand what the rules are so they can make good choices ahead of time. So we greatly appreciate you going through that. And I know, you know, you work also with a lot of estate planning and it goes hand in hand. So before we end the show, we've got just a couple minutes left. Why don't you talk to us about whatever you want to talk to us when it comes to estate planning, what you feel our listeners really need to know. Uh, I make a lot of money when people don't plan and don't go see lawyers. So if, if you want to help me out, then just don't do anything because we lawyers do much better. A lot of with the tax law changes, most people, uh, I mean, you have to be worth more than $11 million to worry about estate taxes anymore. Most in, uh, estate planning anymore is income tax related. And you touched it on a little bit with, with IRAs and 401k plans and things like that, retirement monies. And, uh, it's very important to make sure you have a will, but also look at what we as lawyers call those non-testamentary assets, like life insurance, 401ks, IRAs. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have your beneficiaries and make sure all those non-testamentary assets and your testamentary assets pass like you want. Sometimes you can have some unintended consequences if you don't look at that carefully. The other thing is, my experience is a lot of times uh, people that are required to take their minimum distribution from the IRAs or 401ks, they only do the minimum, and sometimes there may be tax reasons that they ought to take a little bit more. Right. And then the real benefit, and it's actually been a law now for about three or four, well, maybe four years, is once you're over 70 and one half, you can now direct a portion, including all of your required minimum distribution, directly to a qualified charity. You don't get the tax deduction, but you don't have to report it as taxable income. Yeah. And that is a big factor. It doesn't work for 401Ks, interestingly enough. It it works for IRAs. But I think more and more folks in that age group, as they see the benefit of that, they're like, hey, that's uh, that's sort of a no-brainer because I still get money going to someone that I want to have it. That's uh, right. But I don't have to pay income tax on it. Yeah, and that's great, especially with this doubling of the standard deduction, because a lot of people that used to take a charitable deduction won't be able to do that anymore. So That's right. You'd have to be sort of like in the radio broadcaster announcer category. (laughs) uh, You know, you're just bringing in so much and have so many deductions. (laughs) But you're right. For a single person, it's $12,000 standard deduction. For married couples, $24,000. So there's a, a lot of people that used to itemize that will not be itemizing anymore. Yeah. Well, Mr. Nix, we are going to have to cut you off. It has been a great show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. And, uh, uh, getting with our listeners. We'll have to have you back on. So be sure to tweet us at KFS Life Planning this week. And uh, we just appreciate everyone. God bless. And have a great week from right here at Kennedy Financial Services in Eastland, Texas. Thank you for joining us for Life Planning 101, brought to you by Kennedy Financial Services of Eastland. Tune in every Monday morning at 8.30 on KATX and KWBY, and again on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on KATX and KWBY for more Life Planning 101. Advisory services offered through Smart Money Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Calton & Associates, Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Kennedy Financial Services, Incorporated is an independent of Calton 
Anderson and Associates Incorporated and Smart Money Group, LLC.